listening to the New York Football Podcast with Tim McMaster and Dan Duggan. Two games down and two losses for the New York Giants and plenty of boos at MetLife Stadium. Tim McMaster here along with Dan Duggan. Uh, We're going to recap that loss to the Bills, who are now the kings of New York, I guess. They beat the Jets in Week 1, and then they beat the Giants in Week 2, both at MetLife Stadium. Um, Dan, let's get right into it. You called Dave Gettleman's plan misguided in your story after the game. This team is 0-2, and it doesn't look like things are going to necessarily get any better. Yeah, I mean, it just feels kind of like a repeat of last year where in the offseason they convinced themselves that they can still win. So they kind of went with half measures, you know, brought in veterans, um, you know, thought that they could still contend with Eli. And then two games into the schedule, into the season, you're already saying, no, that's going to happen. Now, I mean, it's a little bit different this year. I think they went a little further into the rebuild. Obviously, it started last season when they started trading guys. Um, You know, they did draft Daniel Jones. But I just feel like, like I just think that they're just trying to hang on to something that isn't there. And listen, the first game against Dallas, we all were willing to give a mulligan. Great opponent on the road. You know, first game for a lot of guys. First game for a lot of guys in Giants uniforms. But I think everyone said, you know, you're coming back home to play Buffalo. Now it's a uh, sort of an under the radar, you know, sneaky good team, especially defensively. But it's certainly not world beaters. You would expect to see a better effort. And to see them just get blown out in the first half like that. I mean, granted, they you know kind of hung around, which NFL teams typically do, but that was a demoralizing effort and I think you just start to look ahead and it's it just feels like they're not they're just spinning their wheels again now again it'll change you know when and if Jones finally gets in there but just looking at the big picture this whole try to win while you rebuild it just isn't working I mean you look at the Dolphins as horrible as that is and I'm not saying that's the route they should have gone at least you know the direction they're headed with the Giants (laughs) they're just always in limbo and they got one foot in the future one foot in the present and I think you're just seeing the results of it. So it's just hard. It's hard to stomach, I think, if you're looking at, you know, the overall vision Gettleman's exercise with this roster, because it just seems like he's fooling himself to think that they're real contenders when they're clearly not. Seems like maybe things are coming apart in the locker room as well. We'll get into that a little bit later into the podcast. But let's start at what you just kind of, you know, mentioned a little bit, and that is Daniel Jones. Should Daniel Jones be the starting quarterback next week in week three? For an 0-2 team. Well, let, let me separate like what my opinion is versus what I think is realistic. Because, listen, I mean, I honestly think that you, you, you could have just cut Eli in the offseason and let Jones compete with a Josh McCown type and let him be the starter from week one. Obviously, that ship has sailed. They're not going that route. So, as much as I think that it's pointless to play Eli, I'm just going to try and be realistic on what I think the Giants you know, can and will do. And it just feels like everything's setting up for week seven. Because at that point, if they're 2-4 and four or worse... There's just no justification for sticking with Eli. I mean, you would have given him a full shot. You know, you, he can't say he got cheated because if you pull the plug now, it's you know it's zero two. It is still pretty early. You've, you've made this plan to give Eli one last shot. But again, if you're if you're two and four, one and five, you know, God forbid, zero and six, I think Eli would graciously step aside and understand the situation. Um, and, and, and you also have to look at it. I'm not big on the it has to be a perfect situation for Daniel Jones to make his first start. I mean, I feel like some people act like. He can't start a game until they're 15 and 0, and, and he comes in for the finale that's meaningless because they have you know the one seed locked up or something like that. I don't think it has to be perfect, but you do look. You know they have that Vikings defense in Week Five, then a trip to New England in Week Six. That that would be a rough stretch to to throw him out there for. So I think you know Week Seven, Cardinals at home. They'll have a little extra time to to prep him and, and tailor the game plan to him because they have um, the Thursday game against the Patriots in Week Six. 
I think that's the most logical time to make the change. Um, so, I mean, listen, should they do it this week? I mean, I, there'd be no reason not to, in my opinion, but I just don't think it's realistic. So uh, that'll be my target week seven. And unless this team drastically turns things around, I, I can't see any reason why it wouldn't happen then. Could be a long four games between now and then. Let's talk about Eli and his performance on Sunday. 26 of 45, 250 yards, touchdown, two interceptions. The interceptions, to me, Dan, they're just bad interceptions. The first one at the end of the half when they had a chance to get some points there. And then the one late in the fourth quarter just throws it up there, no giant having a shot at all. I mean, I know there was some desperation at that point, but Eli just... He just doesn't look good. The 26 for 45 is not a great percentage. This wasn't against that. I mean, the Bills are a good defense, but but just kind of give a grade to to what Eli did on Sunday. Yeah, I mean, I think it's been the standard Eli grade for the last couple of years. It's like, you know, C plus, B minus. I mean, he's not terrible. He's not, you know, single-handedly right. losing them these games. I know everyone, you know, wants to point just the finger at the defense. The offense is averaging 15 and a half points per game. So, I mean, it has to at least be some of the blame on the offense. And, of course, it's also that people like to act like Eli's this passenger. I mean, the quarterback has the single biggest impact, you know, on the outcome of a game. You know, no other position, you know, touches the ball every play, impacts as much as the quarterback. So, it's impossible to just absolve him of any blame. And, again, I just feel like yesterday's performance was sort of standard Eli. That last pick, I'll give him a pass because, like you said, it was desperation mode. He, you know, he's throwing it deep and you just try and make something happen. Obviously, it didn't. End of the first half, you know, it's a tip ball. I mean, that's, sometimes that's tough to put on the quarterback, too, but it just kind of speaks to he just doesn't make plays. I mean, it's, it's always guys are open. He hits them for the most part. Any sort of tough play, you know, you know, need to extend a play, need to fit a ball into a tight window. He just doesn't make those plays anymore. So he's, he's a game manager on a roster that isn't built for a game manager. And going back to the Jones point, too, as far as the situation to be put into, for years, we've heard, you know, Eli, it's not his fault, the offensive line. Well, this offensive line is finally pretty good. I mean, the run game has been successful. We'll get into, they're not doing it enough, but it's been successful. He's been sacked once in two games. And again, these are good defenses. So, he's you know, he's got an all-world running back. He's got the tight end that everyone, you know, talked all offseason about how he's a star in the making. I know the wide receivers were shorthanded on Sunday, but if you're looking forward for Jones, I mean, he'll have some guys like Shepard and Tate who are, you know, quality NFL players. So... Eli has the pieces around him. I know the defense isn't good, but, you know, again, you're scoring 14 points, you're scoring 17 points. You can't just put all the blame on the other side of the ball. Yeah, and the terrible first quarter, I thought, too, where you want to go out and, and kind of set the tone. And sure, they did take the lead, but that was obviously all Saquon. Uh, first quarter, Eli 0 for 4. Meanwhile, Josh Allen 7 of 9, 84 yards. And I feel like that just kind of set the tone. Now, the receiving core... It's certainly in rough shape. I mean, TJ Jones is a guy that, you know, this team released before the season started. Now they bring him back, and suddenly he's a big part of the offense. He's not just down on the depth chart. Actually caught his first career touchdown pass, which congratulations to him, but that's not the the weapons that you want to have out there. He ended up having three catches for 28 yards. Had the 60-yard the punt return as well. But, man, this team does need some help um, for Eli Cody Latimer's in there, obviously playing playing a lot of game, um, downs as well. I mean, the help is on the way. You said it, but but how do they get to that point with these guys? How do they make these guys effective in some way over the next couple of weeks? 
Yeah, well, I'll, I'll just say this: like coming to the wrong place. If anyone wants sympathy for their wide receiver situation, because my my stance on the Odell trade has been very clear. So I, you just can't be crying in week two about your wide receiver situation when you traded, you know, one of the five best in the league. And then I think the underrated thing that again, you know, I always sort of things sort of come back to Gettleman with me. They knew that Golden Tate was going to be suspended in April. You know, I don't care about you know right. his rationale or the appeal process. They knew in April that he failed a PED test, and they know how unlikely those appeals are to be overturned. So they had months to try to reinforce this position, and they just, you know, kind of whistled along their way and hoped things would work out with Tate. And if they didn't, hey, we have, you know, Cody Latimer and Benny Fowler and Russell Shepard to, to fill the void. And that, you kind of made your bed, and now you have to sleep in it. Because, listen, they obviously were without Shepard. That hurts. But, I mean, if Sterling Shepard missing one game is going to totally decimate your receiving core, you're, you're in a bad place to begin with. So... I just don't have any sympathy on the, on the Tate front because, again, whatever you feel about that situation, they knew it was highly likely that they were going to be without him for four games, and they just didn't do anything to bolster that position short-term, long-term. Um, so, so, again, yeah, you end up in a terrible situation. Then you have you know Cody Latimer being a game-time decision and leaving with a concussion. When Cody Latimer's presence is make or break, that, again, just speaks to you know how bad that position group is. Um, or how thin it is, I should say, because again, once Tate and Shepard are back, I mean that that position is okay. It's not it's not great, but again, I'm just not the guy to to come to for sympathy when you had Odell and you traded him, and and, and then you have to you know throw the ball to T.J. Jones and, and Benny Fowler and the like. Yeah, certainly. They don't deserve uh, the, any of the sympathy. Uh, meanwhile, on the other side of the ball, Josh Allen got the, the last laugh. We talked about it last week. Shermer's comments before the game about him being, you know, possibly a starter in the NFL. Well, he was a pretty effective starter on Sunday, 19 to 30, 253, the touchdown, the pick. And really, he did some some good things with his legs as well and, and got some big things done. And he, he made a few comments after the game where, I mean, I think a lot was made of it that maybe was overboard, but saying like, I'm in New York and, and kept going back to that with, with some reporters. But, um, but Allen played well. And I don't know if that was motivating or not what Shermer said, but his team certainly had his back and two weeks in a row, he came down to MetLife stadium and, uh, and picked up wins. Uh, what was this defense unable to do against Josh Allen? Yeah, well, I mean, he, he made plays. I mean, again, we're talking to, you know, Eli with, you know, obviously the the mobility is, is drastically different between those two quarterbacks. Um, now, I think Allen's a flawed quarterback, so it would be totally revisionist history history for me right. to say the Giants should have taken him at number two. I never, you know, I don't like quarterbacks that are inaccurate. It's still kind of a problem for him. But he, you know, he, he's kind of got that little bit of a winner characteristic, at least, you know, through two games this year. It's, it's obviously very early. Um, but, you know, against the Jets, it was ugly, but he made plays when they needed to. And against the Giants, you know, he certainly did enough, like you said, with the legs. That that just adds such an element. Um, you know, obviously the Giants are hoping that's what Daniel Jones can bring to the table. But, I mean, Allen is even kind of a different animal. I mean, he's, he runs like a fullback when he comes around the edge there. It's a little uh, a little wild to see a, a quarterback who's that big and physical. Uh, but the thing with Allen, too, that the Giants can take from is you're seeing the benefits of playing a top draft pick early. Because last year was a big struggle. Which, again, it's that for every rookie quarterback just about. So the whole idea of, like, will Daniel Jones make the Giants better in 2019, that's no one's argument. It would almost definitely be worse or be the same. Uh, but Allen got that under his belt, and he comes back now in year two and definitely looks better, looks more comfortable. You mentioned just the teammates rallying around him. I love the part where he kind of got tangled up with Lorenzo Carter after a play, and Cody Ford, the rookie offensive lineman, came over and just drilled Carter, took a 15-yard penalty because, listen, I'm going to protect my quarterback. So you can see that those guys do really respect him, and, and he's already established as a leader. 
Um, and, and just his ability to make plays, you know, when there's nothing there, I mean, that's, that's a skill and, and it's one that he has. And I don't think he's ever going to be a 70% passer. Uh, I think there's going to be some ugly games, you know, throughout his career. But, you know, he definitely shows, you know, just a little moxie and a little, you know, way to make plays and, and you know, keep his team, uh, you know, in, in games. And then uh, with this defense that they can kind of help pull him out. Yeah, he's in a better position, obviously, with the defense that they have as opposed to the Giants. So let's get to the Giants defense now. And uh, we're going to start with some sound, Dan, because after the game in the locker room, Janoris Jenkins post game comments. I mean, to. To some extent, they're, they're certainly true, but also telling of where this team is mentally right now. Let's listen to Janoris Jenkins. I mean, when you got time and you ain't getting no pressure, I can't cover for nobody for 10 seconds. Who can cover for somebody for 10 seconds? Go look at it within the first five seconds of the rock. He's not open. If you scramble, then ain't no pressure getting What you want me to do? I can't cover this side and that side. Like, come on, bro. Like, we got to play football around here. So a little bit of open criticism towards another portion of this defense, that front seven. How is that going to play as far as the front office goes and just the outlook for Janoris Jenkins? Yeah, well, I mean, listen, he he, he did tell the truth. Um, it's not ideal to, to share that publicly. But I'm at a point where I don't really have a big problem with it, only because it's nice to hear someone that's frustrated and someone has some fire in that locker room. Now, again, you don't want to be pointing the finger at your teammates necessarily, but they all know it. It's all blatantly obvious. No one's going to go in the film room and say, oh, you know, uh, Janoris, you're making this up or you're, you're deflecting the blame. I mean, he wasn't perfect. The secondary was certainly wasn't perfect. But he was, you know, it's not wrong. I mean, the, the both sides have not, you know, played well. And again, I just think it was time for someone to just be upset. You know, so many of these other guys are just, oh, it's still early. Oh, you know, we know the team we have in this locker room. Well, you've been saying that for three years, some of these guys, some of them two years, some of them it's their first year. But the point remains that this whole, like, unaffected attitude that I feel like kind of starts with Shermer, it's okay to show a little fire, and you might make some waves. That's okay. I mean, it, the, it goes back to even the whole culture idea. Like, it's okay if not everyone gets along in the locker room. It's okay if some guys are kind of bad guys, I mean, obviously within reason, but if they don't all just sing Kumbaya all day. Uh, and we knew Jenkins was sort of a, a wild card character. Um, I mean, the comments definitely won't sit well with Shermer and Gettleman because they've made such an emphasis on, you know, everyone's rowing in the same direction at all times and everything's kept in-house. So, I mean, I really think where we're at with, with Jenkins is the question is, do they get a fourth or a fifth round for him at the deadline? Because they're almost, you know, you can, you can see where this is going to end up. I mean, we saw it last year with guys like Snacks and Eli Apple who weren't uh, exactly all in with the with the program. So, yeah, I mean, I think that's probably where this is headed. Um, but in the short term, I just I don't have a huge problem with a guy at least finally showing fire, you know, expressing what's obvious and, and just not accepting that, oh, well, we'll get him next week. I think it was time for someone to uh, to sort of show a little frustration and anger. So, yeah, they didn't get a lot of pressure on the ball, certainly. And, and Jenkins maybe covered his receivers for, as he said, the first five seconds, but he can't do it for 10. That said, the secondary hasn't exactly been standout either. Um, we've talked about DeAndre Baker before and his struggles as a rookie trying to figure things out. Um, and he had a few real obvious ones in this one as well. The, th the, the one play that I think we need to mention is that first and 20 in the second quarter where Beasley just completely uncovered down the sideline. Um, looked like that was Baker's zone. It ends up being a 51-yard gain. It, it ended up being a drive that made it 21-7. You can't have that bad a blown coverage in a point in the game where the Giants were still in it. 
Yeah, no, I mean, that was bad. I guess if you're looking for sort of silver linings, that was really the only major coverage breakdown I can think of off the top of my head. I haven't rewatched the game yet, but, I mean, it was a big one, and it was a bad one, and it's really not a surprise he was involved. But um, I think the almost more concerning part with him is more just the the coverage. I mean, like, when he is, in, when he is guarding the right man, he's just not, you know, he's not close. And he looks very tentative. He looked, he looked just totally lost in the first half uh, on Sunday. And, and that's the part that's a little concerning. Just where, where's his head at, just confidence-wise? Um, you know, we always knew there'd be growing pains, you know, with young, you know, young players playing, especially at a position like cornerback where you're on an island and you can be made to look bad because teams are going to pick on you. That's why I kind of shook my head when fans were so convinced that this defense and the secondary would be better this year. I mean, again, maybe he'll end up being a better player than, you know, B.W. Webb, you'd certainly hope, and Eli Apple, you'd certainly hope. But it's going to take time. So that that's all understood. I honestly thought it might have been worth you know, giving him a series off in the first half because he just looked so overwhelmed and so tentative. I mean, even on the, the one of the touchdown runs, I mean, he was just kind of lost. Uh, I guess, you know, to their credit, they stuck with him, and I think it was probably the right call because he did quiet down in the second half. You know, you didn't you didn't see him getting burned left and right. So uh, it's part of the process. you got to let these young guys kind of, you know, grow through their mistakes and, and their struggles, and you hope he'll be better for it. Um, so, I mean, again, the, the fact that in the second half, you didn't have the major breakdowns, you didn't have them picking on him, uh, is probably something positive that you'd hope he can build on you going forward. Yeah. And overall, I mean, there was points in that second half where it kind of felt like this team was going to maybe get back into this thing and, and make something of it. It obviously didn't end up happening. Um, but in the locker room after the game, did you get the feeling that, um, guys felt better about that second half, or is it a loss, a loss, we're 0-2, and, and we're not very good? Well, yeah, I mean, probably a little bit of both. I mean, I think that, yeah, I think you have to feel a little bit better about the defense because if you go back to the end of the first half, into the second half, it was four straight punts. So, I mean, granted, it got ugly fast. It was 21-7, to but they gave the offense a shot, and, and they really couldn't take advantage. So I think at least if you're the defense, uh, you can feel a little bit better. It seemed like they figured something out at halftime. Um, James Betcher, you know, found a way to get some pressure. Uh, Marcus Golden kind of looked like the 2016 version that everyone's sort of been waiting for and, and hoping for. So that was a, a promising sign. He was generating some pressure. Um, but then, you know, they couldn't close it out, obviously, because, you know, they're, they're right there in the fourth quarter. If they can get one more stop, you give the offense a chance to go down and, and, and tie the game. And they, they had their chances on that drive. I mean, there was, I think it was two tip balls by Ogletree that just, you know, fluttered in the air. It felt like forever. And they just couldn't get to him. I think one would have been negated anyways because it was a defensive holding. But you know, the point remains that you know no one made the play regardless. And then the, the real killer was it was a third and six at the Giants' 40. And they get pressure on Allen. And this goes back to my point about him just being able to make plays. I mean, he put B.J. Hill on roller skates, which, hey, it's a tough assignment for a you know, 300-and-some-odd-pound defensive lineman to, to keep up with Allen. He rolls out and finds John Brown for a first down. Jenkins was in coverage on that play, and... Probably one of the complaints he had, because that was, I think it was at least five or six seconds before uh, Allen pulled the trigger, and that is a long time to cover. Uh, but those types of plays, it's just, you know, this team isn't there yet. I mean, it, it, they had, the, had a chance to make a big play multiple times on that drive. Couldn't do it. Couldn't get off the field. You know, obviously, Buffalo has to settle for a field goal, which still probably would ice the game. Dexter Lawrence gets the penalty on, on you know, bumping into the long snapper. I haven't really rewatched that. I think you're just not allowed to touch him, periods. So I don't think there's much uh, uh, debate on that being a penalty. And then they, they punch in the touchdown to, to totally ice it. But uh, I think there's there's definitely some positives to take from the defense, but certainly not enough to you know feel good going into week three. 
That Dexter Lawrence play was a killer. I mean, you said it. Even if it's a field goal, it's still a 10-point game, but that just feels better if you can come down and cut it to three. Um, is that kind of penalty, because you see it here and there, any contact on the center when he's in that position of um, it's going to get called, um, is that a kind of a rookie mistake for Lawrence, do you think? Do you chalk it up to that, the inexperience on a penalty like that? Yeah, I, I think so. You know, I'll probably have to reach out to someone just to check. I mean, maybe there's differences in what you can do in college versus the NFL. I mean, I know that they're all pretty uh, protective of the long snapper in the situation because they're they're super vulnerable. So again, I you know I, I haven't rewatched that to the point where I know that he. I, I know fans think he did it very hard, but I'm pretty sure he just can't make contact. You know, so um, yeah, maybe maybe you know maybe a little too aggressive. You know, I don't know. I mean, you're trying to obviously block that kick because again, ten points at that point is really not that much different than fourteen. Uh, that, that you know, once they let him get down that far, that game was pretty much over. So Jenkins comments. I think it's fair to say that he's not the only one thinking these things. He's just the only one that spoke of it. So, um, in some degree, there's some breakdown in that locker room. So back to the the kind of top of the show where we talked about Daniel Jones and when he'll get a shot. Do you think when they do turn the page? And Daniel Jones runs out there to start his first NFL game. Does that have an overall maybe positive effect on guys as far as, okay, now at least we're turning things to the future and maybe there's some be some growing pains, but but we're looking at the future? Or is that in some ways, I guess it could go the other way and be worse in that, okay, we're throwing in the towel and maybe guys get more discontent. What kind of an effect on the locker room do you think it will be once Daniel Jones does get the call? Yeah, I mean that that's you kind of touched on both sides of it. It's a, it's a tricky situation. You can see the Giants clearly have struggled to navigate it. Um, you know, I think maybe last year if you put say Kyle Lett in for the last four games, that would have felt like you're waving the white towel. Um, I think Jones, right. the situation will be different because, I mean, a the players really seem to like him. B they really respect you know him on and off the field. I mean, I did that story you know the before the season started on you know who stood out the training camp and he got the most votes of anybody on offense. And, and the comments a lot of guys said was. You know, we heard all these comments after the draft, and then we saw him out here on the practice field. I'm like, what are people talking about? He looks, he looks really good. Um, so I think that you know they wouldn't feel like you know they're hopeless. I mean, you know, you take a two-time Super Bowl MVP out, put a rookie in. You know, maybe you say, well, you know, he's probably not going to be as good right out of the gates. But uh, players are pretty good at convincing themselves that you know whatever the coach does, you know, gives them the best chance. And again, until he goes out there and if he's just throwing picks left and right and looks like Nate Peterman, um, then, you know, then they might question the decision. But I think if they were to do it, like I said, in that week seven game against Arizona, I think they'd be a little, you know, bounce in their step, and I think they'd feel good about it. And sure, if it doesn't go well for him over a long stretch, you know, maybe players would say, well, you know, they're, they're building for the future here, and if I'm a, you know, a 30-year-old and on a one-year contract, that doesn't really do a heck of a lot for me. Um, but, you know, I think that they kind of understand the deal. You take a quarterback at the sixth pick, and everyone knows he's going to play eventually. And the fact that Jones has looked so good when he's been on the field, I think the you know the players will, will rally around him, and there won't be a lot of um, you know factions over. I don't think there's going to be a ton of Eli loyalists as much as guys respect him and, and you know like him. I think they'll be ready to turn the page if it gets to that point. Yeah, and I think the way Eli will end up handling it will help that too, because you you know he'll probably do it with class at this point. All right, Saquon. Um, <laughs> He's really good still, Dan. Uh, 18 carries, 107 yards, a touchdown. Um, but, of course, they fed him the ball early, four for 55 and the touchdown on that first drive. He also added three catches in 28 yards. Uh, he's averaging 7.8 yards per carry this season. I mean, 
he's great. He's the the most talented player on this team, um, and they got him involved early, but then they get away from him just because sometimes that happens. I mean, you can't always run on first down and second down. You have to sometimes throw on first down, and when this offense goes three and out, three and out, three and out, suddenly Barkley's not a part of the game. You kind of made that point in your story after the game about just the fact that as good as Barkley is, he can only be so much of a factor sometimes in these games. Yeah, and I, and I made that point also on Twitter, and I think a lot of people you know, take it the wrong way. There, there's no slight on Saquon Barkley. I mean, he was the best player in the 2018 draft. Um, I can't criticize the Giants for taking him, but the entire skepticism around the pick was running backs don't have long track uh, track lives. So that's the word I'm looking to use there. Um, and they weren't built to win in the short term. So it just feels like it wasn't maximizing sort of the value they had with that pick because, again, he is unbelievable. But the, the thing with running backs is there's only so much of an impact they can have on the game. People say, well, it's not his fault. The defense is terrible. Yeah, again, but did, did you not know the defense is going to be terrible? I mean, Gettleman had to know he was going to tear this roster down. So by the time that they're competitive, they're going to be paying Saquon, you know, $100 million plus contract. And that's fine. And he is a genetic freak, so maybe he'll have a 10, 12-year career where he remains effective throughout it. So maybe I'll, you know, come back and, and have to eat my words a little bit. But it just and it just it also goes back to the way they use him. It, it, you built this team around him. You jettisoned Odell. You you went kind of all in on the offensive line rebuild. The offensive line has looked good. You said he was averaging eight yards a carry just about. I don't understand how they go away from him so quickly. That, that, that plan on the first drive against Buffalo was brilliant. Just hand the ball to Saquon. You know, they, they mixed in the one play to Benny <laughs> Fowler. But it's, it's brilliant in simplicity, and they couldn't stop it. So, again, it just goes back to Shermer outthinking himself. They never stopped it. I mean, listen, I know he had a one-yard run on a couple of those possessions, but the second series comes out, five-yard run on first down. I don't know if he asked. I'll have to find out, or, or they just made a decision to put Gallman. I can't imagine Saquon's tired, you know, six plays into the game. Um, so they go three and out there. The second drive, he has a one yard run on first down, incomplete, incomplete. And then the third drive, they had a first, they made a completion to Latimer to get a first down. He had a one yard run, incomplete, incomplete, and they punt. So basically, three three and outs, you know, for all intents and purposes. And he touches the ball three times, and a seven nothing lead turns into a twenty one to seven deficit in the in the meanwhile. And it's just, I just don't understand how you can put the ball in his hands so infrequently especially when you talk about how shorthanded they were at wide receiver. This whole idea of, oh, well, Buffalo was stacking the box. Look how many guys were in the box when he broke the touchdown run. It doesn't really seem to matter with him. And until they're stuffing him, I just can't, I can't justify going away from him as often as they do, as quick as they do. Sure, he might have a one-yard run. We've seen throughout his career going back to college, it might be one yard, two yard, three yard, 48 yards. You know, it, that's just how he is. You have to feed him. To, and and they, just, they just don't do it. Is Shermer's his own worst enemy on it. Uh, I know that some people say you don't want to run them into the ground on a, on a losing team, but it's week two. I mean, you got to try and win until, you know, if they're, you know, three and nine, you would hope that down the end of the season, they're not going to feed them too much. But if you're not going to feed them now, you know, again, what's the point of taking them with the second pick? So um, it's just, it's just hard for a running back. Cause again, he's, you know, doing everything he can, but to touch the ball three times on three possessions while the game slips away, it's just, you're just not maximizing the return on that investment they took with him in the, in the draft last year. And again, I'm not even really criticizing the pick. It just goes back to the entire organizational plan and and, and where they're at as a franchise. And, and you just hope it, he doesn't turn into Barry Sanders. And I think that's got to be the probably the number one fear of you know, anyone associated with the Giants. Maybe they're saving him for Daniel Jones. 
maybe. <laughs> uh, feel good story as far as Saquon goes too. For those of you who like these heartwarming, helping out the the kids type stories, um, there was a fan down in Texas for the Cowboys game wearing a Giants jersey. Uh, Camille Batista, eleven year old fan. Um, didn't get an autograph after the game, and it kind of got out there that that he had been snubbed by one of the Cowboys um, because he was wearing the Giants jersey, and and the player said, you know, you're wearing the wrong jersey, kid. So Saquon's actually flying Camille and his family out for a Giants game in New York later this series so season. So he's doing it on the field. He's doing it in the community as well, Dan. Yeah, I'm trying to decide if I want to let my black heart show on this story. Uh, <laughs> no, I mean, hey, Saquon, I mean, again, he's just aces. Everything he does is perfection. Yeah. You, you couldn't have created him better in a, in a football lab, a PR lab, anything. He's, it's great. He stepped in. I mean, I don't know. The kid didn't get an autograph. It, it wasn't as if, right. like, you know, something, he wasn't in a horrible accident or something like this. I mean, listen, hey, if I'm the kid, I'm, I'm taking the free trip to uh, to New York and everything. It's a, it's a great deal. But I, I just, you know, I think we're in this uh, – this uh, generation of everything's a GoFundMe for every, you know, slight that happens to a kid in the world. And, you know, listen, Lawrence was kind of a jerk about it, but I also kind of think it's like, hey, it's a life lesson. You come up to me in a giant shirt at a Cowboys game, I'm not going to give you an autograph and, you know, you know, suck it up, kid. And again, that's I'm showing my black heart here. Uh, and hey, kudos to Barkley for, for going above and beyond. He should have invited him to the Cowboys game. I don't know why he didn't invite him to that one. That would have been fun. He could have, you know, maybe met Demarcus Lawrence on the field and, <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I don't know. It just, listen again, great job by Barkley and good for the kid. It just feels like, oh, you can get an autograph. It's, it's not like, uh, Lawrence, you know, s- you know, knocked him over or, or, you know, smashed his phone out of his hand or something. trying to take a picture. I mean, um, but Hey, listen, it'll be a happy, it'll be a happy time for, for Saquon and this kid. So I guess I'll have to, uh, check my black heart a little bit. Dan Duggan hates children. That's what we've, uh, <laughs> We've just my daughter just better never ask here. for an, never ask for an autograph. I'll, I'm gonna have to stick to that, or else I'll be a total hypocrite. <laughs> uh, you can uh, send all your hate tweets to uh, Dan Duggan 21 as well. If uh, if you have to say no, no, I kind of agree with you. I mean, it, it's a little overboard, but you know what? The Giants need all the uh, the good press that they can get when you look at what's going on on the field. So we'll take this one as a win for them, and and have a good time when you come to New York, Camille. Uh, certainly um, the 11-year-old kid. Uh, That's going to do it for this episode. One of these days, we're going to have some good stuff to talk about. We're going to have a feel-good podcast. I'm not sure if it's going to be this season, though, Dan. Yeah, well, we may have to get to season two of of the the New York Football Giants podcast. Up next, it's going to be Tampa Bay. They're one and one. They beat the Panthers uh, on Thursday. So after all this, they actually get extra prep time to get ready for the Giants. This episode, of course, available on iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. But if you want our preview episode for that game, where we'll break down and, and get you ready for, for Sunday, that one will be available later this week exclusively on The Athletic. So make sure you subscribe to The Athletic and you get all of the podcasts, not just this one, but so many NFL podcasts and other teams as well. NBA's coming up as is NHL. All right, that's going to do it for us, but we're excited to share some big news before we let you go. Our team here at The Athletic and our friends at Wondery just launched a brand new daily sports show called The Lead that we know you're going to love. The Lead is the first daily sports news podcast that will cover everything from the world stage to the hometown. With the help of The Athletic's more than 400 sports writers and editors, including Dan Duggan, co-hosts Kavitha Davidson and Anders Kelto, will bring you sports news up close and personal personal 
each weekday morning. You're about to hear a preview of The Lead. Subscribe to The Lead on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening right now and you don't want to miss an episode. There's also a link in the episode notes that will take you there. And check out theathletic.com slash the lead to read stories featured on The Lead. You can follow sports through sound bites or the full story. From up in the press box or down on the sidelines. What do you want to accomplish this year? Actually, I want to accomplish getting on this team first. This fall, a new daily podcast brings you closer to the sports stories that matter. Stories about players. A guy like Zion just represents that hope of the failures of the past don't matter because we've got this guy now. That's the buzzer. Stories about hometowns. You will see hundreds of people wearing number 32 Simpson jerseys uh, in the stands on Sunday afternoons for a Bills home game. And stories about the teams you love. This was the first chance for all those baseball fans to see their guys. From The Athletic, home to the best storytelling in sports. And Wondery, the company behind Sports Wars and Gladiator. I'm Kavitha Davidson. And I'm Anders Kelto. Introducing The Lead. Go beyond the box score five days a week. This isn't a story where you go to some place and interview the athlete and go home. It stays with you. Are you kidding me? I have never seen anything like that. The lead premieres September 16th on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening right now. The lead. Sports up close. Hey, hey, I need some more of that.